0: to another edition of The Light side of serial Killers here on the Boom Bastic Media Network. I am your host, Keith Revere. I'm an author and collector of True Crime Martin memorabilia, and your host for this evening. So, <laughs> thanks for tuning in. Uh, we are going to continue my conversation with Robert Bardo. Um, we talk, you know, maybe once or twice a week, uh, but for sp- specifically for the podcast. Uh, this part two, I want to really focus on empathy, um, not just from his perspective, but you know, looking at all prison facilities across America and some around the world, obviously, if you follow my podcast, you know I'm huge into prison rehabilitation or the lack thereof, um, and also with the with the human mind—not just psychopathy, but in general. Um, but empathy is a, a tricky one. You know, a lot of guys, including myself, you know, don't really feel that much. I have empathy, can feel it, just not—I'm not overly empathetic. Um, and some people can't because of a uh, brain abnormality. They don't feel empathy. Well, Robert's going to talk a little bit about his facility uh, where they try to teach empathy. And can you teach empathy for somebody who does not feel empathy? Well, if you have a brain abnormality, the answer is no. I mean, if your making is damaged, if you've read my book, The Story of You, uh, you can't. You don't have the ability to feel it. Uh, I mean, I know there's sometimes I've been talking to somebody who told me the most horrific story. I remember my mom said, when it, her best friend, um, her son died last year, maybe two years ago. He was chopping down a tree branch, sawing it down, in it, and really the branch fell in his head and he died. You know, I don't feel that. I don't feel that pain. I mean, that's just something I don't feel. Um, I know what to say. Well, wow, that sucks. You know, you feel bad to a degree. I mean, it's, as far as you can feel. Um, not that I want to do things to help out, but I don't feel that emotion. I remember one time I was talking to a pastor And just in general, and he said about empathy. Well, did you pray about it? Did you did you pray for empathy? And I don't want empathy. (laughs) Why do I want to feel somebody else's pain? You know, I know people who are very empathetic, uh, and it's almost like a curse. You know, because they absorb people's pain. People. You know they have a hard time setting boundaries and they get walked upon because they're so empathetic. They do th- things for everybody and they feel bad to this, feel bad about that. And, you know, I don't want it. You keep it. <laughs> you keep your empathy. Um, and it can make relationships a little tricky. As long as they know ahead of time. Listen, you know, a lot of times women want to be felt. You know, emotionally felt. It's like, listen, that's not an option. <laughs> not, I'm Mister Black and White. You know, for the most part, I'm I'm Black and White guy. I'm not. If you need that emotional need met, you mean know, skip me. Swipe to the left. If you see me on Tinder, I'm not on Tinder, but if you see me on one of them sites, swipe left because I'm not the emotional need guy. Uh, But can you teach it? So we're going to hear a little bit from uh, Robert about that. Also, uh, I got an email. uh, A friend of the podcast um, turned uh, Frank Falzon. I think I pronounced his name right. um, One of his representatives. He was... um, what was his exact title? Uh, Investigator Inspector, I believe, is the exact title. But he was one of the lead investigators on the Richard Ramirez case, the Night Soccer case, back in the you know, 70s and 80s. Um, a few major cases that he was on, Zodiac Killer and a Zebra. Um, zebra Killings, I guess it is, and, and a few others. Um, he reached out to me today. and actually got to talk to Frank through email. He is going to be giving me a call for the podcast. I believe June 5th. It's a Monday um, in the morning and sometime in the late morning. I'd record the episode for that Thursday's edition if everything goes well and no hiccups or anything. So I'm really looking forward to that. And a funny thing, I'll give you a little a little tease. Uh I was describing my podcast uh, to his partner, I guess media partner, and told him it's the lighter side of serial killers. And he laughed as soon as he heard. It, he's like, oh, "This this must be this is this has to happen because you know he gets invited to speak over the years everywhere. You now he's just not comfortable talking about the you know the the blood and guts of it all, you know, of the true crime stuff. So he said all the business cards that he had, not business cards, all the index cards that he has, about 30 of them or so, he tries to write a little something humorous for each one. And so he would call his speeches the lighter side, I think the lighter side of detective work or you know, lighter side of, of uh, police investigation, something like that, he'll talk about it on the show. But it was just got a kick out of it We kind of, you know, similar names. Uh, so he's real excited to do the show. Um, you can check out, um, we're going to be talking about his book, has a book. Uh, it's actually been released, recently released. We're going to get into that. So keep an eye out for that, uh, the first Thursday of June as of now, so about two or three weeks from now, so that would be cool. So, and a couple other cool things coming up too. Uh, but for now, let's um, really resume uh, my conversation with Robert Bardo. Uh, when I mentioned uh, that you're going to be coming on the podcast and people talk to you, a lot of people always wonder, about uh, when people with empathy or people looking back, and you had mentioned that there's some classes, I don't know, at your facility or in general about, you know, helping people out with empathy. Um, how did you work through that as far as your own personal feelings for, it, you know, having empathy in general, and classes that might help somebody out or pull out their own empathy if they really have a struggle with that feeling? Uh, well,
1: what we have over here is so they're teaching a lot of what, Have you ever heard of Daniel Goleman? No. D-O-L-E-M-A-N, Daniel Goleman. He has a thing called emotional intelligence, or EQ. Instead of of intelligence quotient, IQ, it's emotional quotient, your emotional intelligence, and there's four facets to that. One is self-awareness. There's like four or five facets to it or something like that first one is uh self awareness the other one is like uh self managing your emotions the other one is self motivation and the other one is uh about empathy about being in tune with other people's feelings and then i think the fifth one is about being assertive uh but it does talk about empathy uh at the time of my crime i, I didn't really reflect about empathy i didn't really understand it i was just consumed there with my own narrow minded thinking uh as you probably uh but uh, one of the things I'm working on as far as what I feel is empathy is uh, I excited to hear about the tragic shooting in uh, Texas near Dallas at that mall in Allen, Texas. Mm-hmm. And i that's why I'm pushing my uh, my idea about reducing gun violence by reducing the amount of ammo that's available by creating, a, deliberately creating a gun ammo shortage through uh, redirecting the lead and copper that are necessary for gun bullet projectiles and most civilian ammunition to more positive, peaceful, productive uses, like in clean energy, where lead could be used for more sol- lead batteries for photovoltaic solar panels, mm-hmm. and more copper for more wind turbines because they use a lot of uh, copper, and to increase that, that, so the raw materials that are used to, for bullets are used for uh, more positive, productive purposes, and that the mm-hmm. bullets that are out there can be bought out by local authorities to create shortages for the criminals, and uh it's just one of those, and I think you know, it would be cheaper than all the gun violence costs and all the loss of lives. That's, but, but that's one of the things I see as far as empathy is by preventing the violence that's going on out there. Because who knows what all the different motives for different people are. I can't even figure it out.
2: Sure. All the different
1: stuff that's going on out there. So
2: Definitely. As far as
1: empathy, yeah, it's something that, it's basically to feel inside because we teach, uh, like in my Sunday class, we would have had it today, but uh, the guy who facilitates it, had to do something else, but on the uh, we learned about victim impact and victim awareness, and we learned the difference between sympathy and uh, and empathy. Sympathy is more like feel uh, with to feel you know to be you know feel what a, feel with what an other person's feeling, whereas whereas empathy is like to feel inside to place yourself in their in their shoes to see uh, it from their perspective. Mm-hmm. And that is the uh, thing that we're learning in uh, victim awareness and victim impact. It's called HEAL. Um, It stands for something. I think it's Having Empathy, Allevy, or something, uh, Advances Learning or something like that. HEAL. Uh, Having Empathy Advances Learning. I think that's what it's for. It's my second class I would have had today. I usually have it on Sundays. Oh, nice. And then I also have the Emotional Intelligence Development, also development thing the hour before, and it's facilitated by the same inmate. But yeah, we have it in our building, in Building 610 on F-Yard in Avonale State Prison in Altonale, California. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're working on. But uh, yeah, I'd like to have people read my change.org petitions and all my petitions online about my anti-gun violence ideas. Mm -hmm. not gun control, it's ammunition management, ammunition diversion, and I want to speak to the public about that, because without gun ammunition, there's no gun violence, and that the raw material for gun ammunition can be redirected to more positive things, because there's not an endless supply of lead or copper in the world, and bullets need lead and copper, and those can be redacted, you know, it's like swords mm-hmm. to plowshares in the Bible, the book of Isaiah and the book of Micah, where it describes about turning swords to plowshares, something that's violent and ma- 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 benevolent can be turned into some peaceful and benevolent, and that's my idea, and that's... The empathy consists of, uh, I mean, remorse consists of empathy and also amends. That's what we're learning too.
0: No, oh, for sure. So yeah, it's kind of like like you're okay. you're almost like your life too. Using the Bible verse where something negative happened and you're trying to turn it into a positive. Yeah. Using your platform and your voice, whether it be you know through yeah. the ammunition. Um, now, what do you think if if someone worry like, if at best you can, so I know it's hard to explain, but when you hear about the shootings in Texas and, and every day there's something horrible going on. Um, as far as empathy and sympathy related, how does that make you feel inside? Not just something to do or to learn about, but what is your feeling like what do you feel? Whether you know, not just thinking about your own stuff, but in general when you hear these horrible things. Um what do I you feel it's inside? I
1: think I think uh I see these guys doing this because they're lone wolves. They're brainwashing themselves with negativity and conspiracy theories, and uh, they're, they have the victim mindset. There's two types of mindsets. There's a the creator mindset and the victim mindset. These guys place themselves as society's victims. That's what I suspect is behind their uh, violence, turning to violence, because they believe that gives them control and it lets them lash out. And many of them are probably suffering from deep manic, manic depression or bipolar disorder. And this is just speculation on my part, because I can't, I don't know who the individuals are or sure. why they're doing what they're doing.
2: Yeah, of course. But it's obviously a way of,
1: uh, they have some imagined offense or imagined slight that they're, uh, they have against the society, and this is their way of sending a message, trying to, uh, before they go out in a blaze of glory, this is a way of trying to matter or trying to gain significance. Mm-hmm. But there's so much of gun violence going on nowadays that these these guys are going to be forgotten, so uh, whatever they're yeah. doing, uh, you know, didn't change society uh, for their benefit. Uh, huh. mm-hmm. I, but I, I think, uh, I think also that the analysis, uh, you know, the more we learn, you know, a lot of people don't understand we, why we want to learn the motives behind what these guys do or these individuals do. But it's helpful to uh, analyze because there's a lot of good violence cases that are uh, prevented. We don't always hear about them on the news, but uh, you know, law enforcement is working diligently and we have to give our hands to law enforcement, to the FBI and to local law enforcement that do prevent these tragedies. And there's a lot of uh, people who do speak up when they see something going on and that they're aware of. When they see somebody that's a loner and, uh, I mean, a big red flag is somebody who wants to purchase bulletproof vests and purchase yeah. a lot of ammunition, especially yeah, of for uh, semi-automatic assault rifles. Mm-hmm. Those are red flags right there. Oh, and, you know, definitely. people have social media posts that are negative, too, that should be monitored. And, you know, people are—if give off signals way before they commit their crimes. Mm-hmm. I think artificial intelligence can help spot those because they're, they're very good at spotting things. And I think artificial intelligence can help with that. That's a big thing now. I don't know if it's CHAT-GPT yeah, or... Microsoft the Barb or Google's uh, DeepMind or whatever they're working on. But I think a lot of that could be very helpful to uh, prevent a lot of this. But I do want yeah. people to look at MyChange.org, uh, reduce or stop U.S.-Latin American gun violence uh, petition online, Robert J. Bardo, to see uh, uh, my bullet points of what I'm trying to say. There's another uh, reposted uh, of those same context that people could sign on. Uh, so people look online on change.org, mm-hmm. but I just want to refer people to those ideas that lead or copper are the necessary ingredients for uh, bullets, and bullets are needed for guns. And that's the Achilles heel to gun violence is the fact that lead and copper are needed. Sure. And that Neither lead or copper are in the top 18 of the most common elements on the Earth's crust, and most lead and copper that's mined annually it doesn't go to bullets. It goes to other uses, and I think if we increase the more positive uses, uses, productive uses, rather than bullets, there'll be uh, uh, the uh, raw materials for bullets will simply disappear. Because that's the Achilles heel right there, is the fact that bullets that most civilian gun ammunition uses needs lead or copper. Mm-hmm. And that's and uh, lead and copper is not as plentiful as people would think. And once you take away the lead and copper from uh, the equation, the whole gun violence situation starts solving.
2: But so sure. what I am
1: disturbed about is the. What I'm disturbed about, and you probably heard about this, the University of California, Davis, they arrested a 21 year old, I think, uh, a former UC Davis student who uh, I guess dropped out, but he started stabbing people, stabbed three people. I think two of them died, but they, he was recently arrested. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, it, it would be good to learn what led that guy to uh, fall off the rails of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, a young woman who was on a hiking trail in northern Phoenix, she was murdered by a guy who stabbed her 15 times. And I don't think she knew her assailant. And they recently caught that guy. And it's, you know, and then of course we got in Idaho those four college students that were murdered. Mm-hmm. They got the suspect in that yeah. case. But it is, you know, there's a lot of stabbings going on too that are makes that are mm-hmm. quite senseless too. And it's it's important to, you know learn the motives. That's one of the things that I'd like to do in the future is explore motives to why people do the things they do, because I think it's important <laughs> while people are interested in the whole true crime, because uh, a lot of people are interested in true crime nowadays, mm-hmm. is to get inside the motives of people to, you know, why is this happening more often nowadays? I mean, overall, the United States the murder rate is much lower than it was in the early 1990s, but still there's a lot of people doing a lot. They're getting the ideas from the media watching other killers. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of young men out there who look up to the Columbine shooters and Colorado, Colorado shooters from 1999. You know, there's a lot of young men who feel not connected to life, who look to other killers and they they look and uh, get ideas from them. And that's something that I think should be uh, paid close attention to. I think yeah. that's important.
0: Now, you said other programs, like, for example— the odds that someone's going to reoffend when they get out of prison, especially if they're committing a violent crime, is like 70%, called recidivism rate, between three and five years once they get released. Now, some prison facilities have, you know, they lock you up and throw away the key. They treat you horrible. You end up being even worse mentally when you leave. That's the way they get in trouble. But other facilities have great programs. I know yours and some other ones in California have pretty good programs to really help people out, like the ones you're mentioning. To where some of those facilities, like uh, North Dakota has a great one, for example, their recidivism rate is only like 17% because they, they're teaching, they're encouraging, they're getting counseling and communication with people there. And local community jobs are going to the facilities to help train them so when they get out, they do have a job. How do you think your facility is doing? Oh, yeah. are your facility is doing a pretty good job, as not just with you, but like in general as a whole, trying to help people get on their feet, especially those who are going to be released to uh, – To really get them ready, you know, not just mentally, but, you know, prepared to go back out there and be successful.
1: Well, in California, like at this prison, there's a big problem with a lot of inmates. They've got substance abuse problems. That's probably the number one reason why people come to prison. Number two is domestic violence. Um, These guys are, you know, they treat these inmates with what is called Suboxone, S U B O X O N E. And a lot of guys chuck their Suboxone that they take at uh, noon uh, pill call. They chuck it and they sell it to other inmates.
2: Mm-hmm. And there's a lot wow. of, uh,
1: you know, these inmates are addicted to spice. You know, they're suffering from deep addictions, and it's it's uh, prevalent in here. I've never abused mm-hmm. drugs. I've never done marijuana. <laughs> i never did <laughs> cocaine. I never did crack. I never did meth. I never did spice. I never did any of those drugs. Yeah. I never smoked. I never was a drinker out there. Nice. When I was arrested when I was 19. So, but yeah, that's a lot of inmates. They do have programs, and there's substance abuse uh, program, and inmates go to it uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. But a lot of guys still abuse, even though they go to those programs. So California prisons are getting better. They're closing prisons. Uh, They're going to close Chukawala Valley State Prison in Blythe, California, near the Arizona border in Southern California by March 2025. I think they already closed the D-yard over there, and they're moving some of those inmates to Ironwood State Prison next door in Blythe, California. Uh, And they're supposed to, I guess this prison, instead of closing down because that was the rumor, I think they're going to increase programs here because they're going to make this like a hub, a rehabilitation hub. Like, oh, wow. I like what they're doing with San Quentin. Mm-hmm. So San Quentin, I don't know if you've heard, but Gavin Newsom is going to spend like over $21 million to $23 yeah. million to upgrade the rehabilitation mm-hmm. programs there. Uh, to me, they need to reform the three strikes law because there's a lot of guys here on burglary cases from like 1980 that they used to enhance their sentences for crimes that they're in prison now that would have... Uh, they should be like already; the ready for the streets. They're, they're not convicted of murder or sex offenses. So, yeah, there's a lot of over-incarceration laws that they need to change for some of these guys.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I uh, most of the guys that I encounter that are in prison for murder are in prison for murdering other gang members. Uh, that's the most common type of murderer in California is uh, oh, gang okay. on gang sure. uh, mur- murders. It's uh, usually in the L.A. or in the you know the major urban areas or in California Central Valley. Uh it's usually Latino on uh, Latino violence. Uh sometimes it's black on black violence. Uh, the murder rate is really affected uh the, the black and brown communities disproportionately. And uh you know, so that's, that's mm-hmm. that happens far more often than all these mass shootings that we hear about which are like one percent of the murders every year. Yeah. According to the gun archives, I think gun violence archives mm-hmm. uh stats. Uh so yeah, but California is doing it. There's a lot of inmates that were signed up for college. We have uh, Palo Verde College, and there's these inmates also signed up for West Hills College, which pays for the books, for associate's degrees. It's oh, nice. Years associate. Mm-hmm. A lot of these guys uh, get into programs like, oh, I think it's called OMCP, where they train to become drug counselors, and they get paid really well. There's a lot of uh, training inmates nowadays uh, for different programs, so... They're doing that, too, like be facilitators for uh, for GRIP, which is guiding Rage into Power. Uh, people can learn about that at insightout.org, insightout.org. That's a good program, and that program starting to pay for uh, reentry housing for people uh, in California. So California is doing it more than states like the Southeastern United States has a atrocious record. They have some of the toughest laws, and they don't spend much on inmates or their yeah. reentry, mm-hmm. and so those States' highest violence, uh, highest crime rates. And even though they have conservative politicians, those states are worse than the liberal ones. Mm. So, uh,
0: what do you think, yeah, it's, uh, as far as all the programs there, um, what do you think has helped you the most? And in general, um, have you seen a lot of other people being helped by these programs? What programs seem to be helping people the most? I know everybody has different, you know things they're struggling with. But as in general, what has helped you the most, and what do you think has been the most beneficial for the majority of people?
1: Uh, the ones that, uh, for me uh, personally, I do CGA, Criminal or Gang Members Anonymous, which was started by inmates, uh, uh, I think, Mill Creek State President, on I own California and Northern California in 1996. I facilitate a group on Saturday. I've been doing that for a while. Uh, we have these 10 chairs that are black, chairs that are— Locked up in five at a time, and we lay them out five. I got like six guys in my group Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Pacific time, and I lead it for an hour, and we go through the steps, and we discuss them. We do our readings where we read up to 12 steps and everything, and so mm-hmm. that's one of the groups that I find effective for me, uh, but I, the group that I want to get into, a lot of inmates find helpful is that grip getting rage into power, they just had some new sign-ups and I'm signing up for that because that's where they have actual crime victims come in and they talk to the inmates. Oh, wow. Uh, They have victims, female victims of stalking come in and Mm -hmm. talk. They have victims, mothers who lost children to murder who come and talk to the inmates. They uh, become, the inmates that go through that become part of the tribe and they learn about nonviolence. They learn about emotional intelligence, empathy. Mm -hmm. They learn about their childhood, adverse childhood experiences that led them To their,
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> their beliefs, because it's their beliefs that leads to their thoughts and, yeah. and the feelings, and leads to the uh, them to uh, to uh, do the actions,
2: that
1: sure. uh, least to the violence. And one of the things that we got to know for those of us who are violent offenders is what beliefs and uh, feelings and things, that, and what are our positive factors. That led us to believe that it was okay to commit a crime. Yeah. What were we going to get out of it by doing, committing an act of violence? Mm-hmm. That's something part of insight, because insight has four elements it's remorse, responsibility, positive factors, and then victim impact or victim awareness. Those are the uh, four elements. And that's the first thing that the uh, inmates are required to know, especially yeah. those who have done violence
2: mm-hmm.
1: or who are lifers. Uh, that's the first thing that. They also need to know about their contributing factors people places and things uh that uh, that were the external influences to them they yeah. need to know their uh triggers their external triggers their internal triggers their sensory triggers and their belief triggers and that uh and they need to know their coping skills uh on each one to uh, mm-hmm. uh and develop a support network that helps them on the outside uh has that more than a lot of states? It's starting to uh, grow in other areas, but I, uh, I think it's very helpful. Well, right now, people with people abusing uh, substances, they're they're damaging their minds, and it's hard for them to cope with uh, reality out there because there's a lot of stress out there. Oh, sure. And it's hard for them to cope. What
0: was the, uh, but what I was, recommend. Oh, so what was the name of that group again? It was it like Grip or something, or what did that what did that stand for? Yeah, it's
1: called Grip. G R G R I P. It's called stands for guiding rage into power. The mm. website is insight, insightout.org. dot org.
0: Nice. And you said you had they have they they brought in um, people who were the target well, of somebody and yeah. oh well, how did that affect you or yeah the victims
1: they, they talked to the inmates
0: they, wow. they talked
1: to uh, uh, um, I'm trying to try it again I was signed up before mm-hmm. but uh, uh, there's some uh, some. Uh, issues that uh, I have to uh, restart it, so mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to try to get into it for this next cohort. Nice. Uh, but it's pretty good. It's a year-long program, and they meet uh, oh, wow. That's uh, great. once a month on a, on a Sunday for mm-hmm. about eight hours.
2: Oh, wow. And uh, one...
1: then they have every week they're supposed to have, uh, for those who are members, to meet up once a week as a group to discuss the material. But it's supposed to be the best one, guiding Rachel into power, <laughs> grip, that's, and then they also have yeah. Goki, which is getting out by going in. It's another inside program, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that needs the public support too. Nice. Um, uh, uh, there's also NA and AA here. CTA. We also have uh, I attend Power, which is Prisoners Organizing Workshops for Effective Rehabilitation. I attend that. I. Um, I also attend Timeless, which is a board prep uh, group, even though I don't have board. Uh, and then Tuesdays, I, I attend We Do Recover, I, uh, which is like an NA group. Even though I've never used uh, uh, substances, it's still about learning about obsession, compulsion, progression. Mm-hmm. So it's still good for me. And I also attend uh, domestic violence a uh, uh, 12 week uh, my third class on domestic violence i'm attending thir- my third one in the hobby room here on f yard it's uh, facilitated by an inmate uh this is the second time teaching it for me mm-hmm. uh so i'm learning that and uh i'll just keep doing all these different self-help groups
0: uh you mentioned which and is, i well, i to say well, you have mentioned which is which i think is sometimes is even better not all the time but you said some of the groups are actually facilitated by some of the inmates there who maybe have committed, you know, the crimes themselves that are talking about in, in my experience, I was going to say in my experience out here where like aftercare groups and prison aftercare groups to the people who have been there, done that before and have overcome it. Those people who teach tend to have people listen to them more instead of somebody like me, although I've been involved in most of my life, um, they all tend to listen to somebody who's been there, and done that before, versus somebody just with a degree, just chatting. Well, there, there's a wealth of information, but do you find that there too? There's a more of a relatability listening to somebody who's oh, yeah. been there and done that than for some some stranger walking off the street yeah. who's never committed a crime in their life. Do you find that true?
1: Yeah, it, well, ninety percent of the groups are actually taught by uh, inmates and or people and uh, substance abuse program. The SAP uh, is taught by uh, people who. Uh, we former prisoners, and even the grant uh, facilitators who get paroled are uh, are actually ex-inmates, ex-lifers, and now they have ARC, anti citizen Coalition out of L.A. and Sacramento. They're doing CGA, criminal gang members and honors oh, wow. uh, classes on Thursdays, and they're doing board prep. It's called Avatar, Board of Prison Hearings, board prep for those who are closest to going to the parole board, <laughs> and those are done by ex-lifers who paroled in California. They're teaching inmates. Wow. Most of the classes are taught by inmates, and inmates do listen because they do identify with them. There's a lot of guys here who don't take no self help courses at all, uh, or they don't take them serious. But uh, and it shows to the board. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, there's we've got like seven lifers waiting to go home in this just in this building. So wow. Yeah, and that's for just this year. So. And there's many more guys who are going to go to the board. So it's more than there ever been that I've ever seen. I'm in the building at the most, more lifers have gone home out of my building, in Building 610 on that yard at Avalon, California, in California Central Valley, than I probably think at any other prison that I've ever been to in California. More lifers have gone home out of this Building 610, I think, than any other building at this prison. And there's wow. six yards in this prison. They're all dorms. Mm-hmm. A, B, and C, and D, and E, F yard here. Yeah, so this I'm on F yard here on Donning Six Ten, dorm nine, uh two upper bunk. Uh, yeah, I'm in a like a uh a, a, a ten bed uh, dorm, mm-hmm. small dorms. There's like twenty four dorms, twelve uh dorms per tier. There's like three buildings that are basically the same design. There's two flat screen TVs in the day room. Uh they recently put in, took away the wooden benches and they put in these uh plastic, like dark red uh, plastic mold uh there's like comfortable sofa things, oh, okay. uh, seats. Mm-hmm. Or two uh, tables that are made of plastic. They're like a dark red mm-hmm. or maroon cover, or whatever they call them, uh, on both sides of the day room. There's like there's a. These buildings are divided into A, B, and C side. I'm on C side, uh, and we go to chow. We have two meals where we go to chow. Morning around six o'clock in the morning Pacific time, and then around five o'clock p.m. We're the first building to go to chow on breakfast and dinner. We get a bag lunch for uh, lunch, and that's how we – our canteen prices are high, and we go to canteen once a month. I'm third draw because my Mm -hmm. last two numbers are 72, and that's basically how life is here. I work for the Lions Club, Lions Insight Program, lionsinsight.org, where I take thousands of glasses uh, in apple boxes, and uh, we break them into piles of 50, and we clean them. And then Mm -hmm. there's uh, three other guys along with me. We sort them using a computer, uh, Tomi, Tomey, T-O-M-E-Y, mm-hmm. computer, mini computer, auto lens readers, and we sort them between single vision, progressive, and um, bifocal or trifocal lenses, positive or negative values, and we check for the spherical, cylindrical, and axis values. And if they're in range, we save them. We put them in these little plastic long baggies that are see-through, like Ziploc bags. And there's a label, and we put on the the uh, le- uh, the right side values first for the spherical, cylindrical in exercise, and then for the left side and then we put our initials on in the uh southeastern corner of the label and then on the uh northeastern corner of the label we'll put an S minus or S plus for single vision, positive or negative. Nice. And then we'll have a, a a red Sharpie for circle with a positive or negative for the progressive and then a green Sharpie for the bifocals for positive or negative in that uh top uh Right-hand corner, Mm -hmm. so and and then we put A for Evanol, and then slash R B for like Robert Barta for my initials.
0: As far as we're talking about different prison facilities and the the rehab programs, Uh, I'm sure it took took a while when you first got to the facility um, to settle in to find about the programs. So, what it was like for you, like your first few weeks of going to the jail, and then after sentencing, going to an actual prison. What was that emotional experience like for you? It must have been uh, horrible.
1: Well, when I, back in 1989, I was arrested July 19th of 89 in Tucson, Arizona, and then I was extradited in August of 89 to Los Angeles by the Los Angeles Police Department, Wilshire Division. Now, the LA County Jail, I got there after I went to the LAPD class house in the Parker Center in downtown LA. That was awful. That was a, like a mass dorm, and it was really dark. And the food is the same every day. They gave me burnt food. It's like really cheesy food, like cardboard almost. Ugh. But when I got to the uh, L.A. County Jail, the food was slightly better. But uh, they put me, because uh, I was scared and I didn't know what to expect, they put me in four-point leather restraints. And, uh, wow. Yeah, it's... Uh, uh,
0: How long were yeah, they you... it's, How long long so
1: are... are... That was for about a week. Oh. A person come in, uh, uh, like a psychic come in, a lady come in and ask me, and then... They went I went three point restraint on a bed. Uh this was in the seven thousand floor uh of the LA County kind of jail, which was built in the nineteen sixties. Uh and then uh, eventually they had a a porter, an inmate porter, like a janitor, come in and clean up. I uh, had a used to restroom on the bed, and then eventually I was taken off that and I was in a uh, basically a, a room by myself, nothing no T V, no radio, nothing. Uh but at prison I did my reception at Wasco State Prison I got there January 15th of 1992. It's in Kern County, northern Kern County in uh Central Valley of California. Uh, back then, it was nothing but farm fields. Now it's all built up with housing. Uh, they put me in ADSEG, and I slept by myself. I had a Holy Bible, Thompson Chain Holy Bible I read. So I was reading that. Uh, they had a TV. I was in ADSEG, Administration Segregation, uh, D6, building D6, and that's on the second tier. Because I was life without parole, they put me in a cell by myself. The door was like uh, solid, uh, like stainless steel with perforated holes in it, like a honeycomb pattern. Uh, they had a trace lot, and I, I stayed there until March 31st after I, I went to uh, 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 see uh, they at, at My reception was at Wasco State Prison from January 15th of 1992 to March 31st of 92. They made a mistake on my name. My middle name's John, but they put Allen. My middle name's not Alan, but that's what they put. And I need a birth certificate notarized birth certificate to get that straightened out. Uh yeah, it's, uh so that's a mess and that still follows me uh until I get that straightened out, getting a notarized birth certificate to change my name back. But uh the programs they didn't really have any I got it to you uh my first job was in the kitchen at CMacoville. I as a beverage person then a line server. Uh and then, I, uh, 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 from there, I uh, got a job as a hospital, working in G-Wing Hospital. There's three floors at CMF Vacaville, California Medical Facility at Factorville, California, North of San Francisco in Solano County. And I worked there cleaning cells of HIV-infected inmates, uh, their cells in dorms. I did that for a few months until 1995, I got to Vocational Electronics, uh, and I learned uh, from black and white copies of the Heath Kit. H E A T H K I T, electronics books. They're like black-white copies. I learned DC fundamentals, direct current fundamentals, alternating current fundamentals, electro- uh, semiconductor fundamentals, electronic circuits, and then I was working on digital uh, circuits before they shut the class down because uh, the teacher got into trouble uh, uh, for some reason. And then from there, uh, I got into trouble. on Sim at Vacaville. I mean there was programs there are considered consider category J which is psych, psychiatry category. But I'm off that now. I've been off that for over twenty seven years. Uh I don't take any psych meds or anything like that. Uh I take uh Lupator, a genetic version of Lupator for my high triglycerides. Uh I'd take fiber pills. Uh but uh, uh there was there was some self up stuff, but uh there's more now than there ever was before. Nice. Uh uh, I, I went to a lot of church services. To me, that does more for rehabilitation than anything. I attend Protestant Christian services more mm-hmm. with the inmates. Uh, there's a lot of places here Mexican American or Central American inmates who don't speak much English, they speak Spanish. Uh, there's a lot of Vietnamese immigrants and Cambodian immigrants and uh, that are, uh, uh, are people from Hmong inmates. Here, there a lot of Asians, uh, some Koreans, uh, some Chinese. Inmates, uh, some from Thailand. Uh, so I get a diversity of learning about different inmates from their different parts of California.
2: Sure, can of Undocumented
1: immigrants in California prisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, I do as many as I can. Uh, there's a lot like a bottleneck on the rehabilitation programs because there's only so many programs. There's a lot of inmates here. Uh, the ones I... Uh, I'm trying to... Uh, before, I was trying to get into the vocational construction classes, but those are full. They like to get those who are getting ready to go home soon to get into those classes first. But I'm happy at my job at the Lions Club, International Lions Insight Program, lions.org, mm-hmm. lionsinsight.org. So I'm happy with that. But, yeah, at the beginning, I mean, they had some rehabilitation stuff, even though not too many inmates were getting released. Uh, some lifers got, were released under Pete Wilson, but, not, but many more now are yeah, being okay. released.
0: Uh, How was it and, as uh, far as, you know, meeting people? Like when you first got there in the first few months to a few years as far as meeting other people? Oh, some getting... people,
1: some people brought up my case because back then they had hard copy of A Current Affair. They, uh, entertainment Tonight were covering my case because it's still fresh on the news.
2: Oh, sure. Some yeah.
1: inmates were making fun of me. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of homosexuals and a lot of HIV-infected people. I see at Vacaville. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, transgenders. Uh, I've seen a lot of inmates die. Uh, I in body bags. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a uh, crisis over there. I'm sure it's uh, not as bad as it used to be. Uh, but yeah, things have changed a lot because a lot of lo- inmates are going home, a lot of lifers and everything. Nice. Uh, one of the things I'm trying to push, and I think it might be uh, on the outside, is that distilled white vinegar, health benefits to uh, help people with calcium in their arteries, chlorosis. To help uh, soften their arteries, to uh, consume it on an empty stomach—that's one of my.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I like doing science stuff. I like watching PBS Nova, CBS 60 Minutes, CBS Sunday Morning, mm-hmm. uh, History Channel, foods that built America, cars that made America. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Engineering, Engineering that built the world on the History Channel. I like those type of mm-hmm. educational programs.
0: Now, when you I don't mentioned,
1: really watch too many. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: Is it you mentioned? Go um, lifers going home, and just for people who might be listening and don't quite understand. I mean, people who had life without the possibility of parole now being able to get paroled and go home.
1: Well, that's what the governor commutes their sentences, and the governor's doing that. Uh, it started with Jerry Brown, and uh, uh, he was doing some of them, but they have to file for a commutation with the governor. Mm-hmm. I have to do that, too. There's a case called People versus Hearted, Hardin, H-A-R-D-I-N. Mm-hmm. It's out of the 2nd Appellate District in California in Los Angeles. Where the inmate won three to zero for uh, those who are committed their crimes between the ages of eighteen to twenty five I was nineteen when I fell in on, nineteen eighty nine and they can uh qualify for a youth offender parole, pro uh hearing, but it's on hold now because California state Supreme Court voted seven to zero to hear the case, so we're waiting the decision from people versus Harding of the California state Supreme Court okay. to see how they decide on that to decide if we are entitled to equal protection under the Senate bill uh well, is it 260 and 261 that passed in 2014 and 2017 that Jerry Brown signed as governor? But uh, I'm waiting for that, so I'm preparing anyways. But, uh, you know, I still got to always remember, you know, Rebecca Schaefer's mother passed away, Dana Winner Schaefer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: on November 6, uh, 2022, in Portland, Oregon. Uh, she, that would have been Rebecca Schaefer's 55th birthday.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, she died of an aortic valve replacement surgery unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to honor them by mentioning them and making sure that Rebecca Schaefer, the still Schaefer, who was 21 when I shot her mm-hmm. death. Definitely. And uh, in 1989, July, I think 1989 in Los Angeles at the 120 North SweetShare Avenue in Los Angeles near mm-hmm. West Hollywood. Uh, and remembering her mother who felt tremendous anguish and sadness and it devastated her because that was her only child. And I want to honor them and, uh, you know, I'm deeply sorry for what I've done to them and the, the devastation I brought to that family. They're completely they're completely innocent victims of my uh, what I did, uh, the murder I committed with the gun violence. And that's why it's so important that I refer people to my ideas on the gun violence, by reducing it by ammunition management, ammunition diversion, creating an ammunition shortage permanently, by taking the raw materials for ammunition, lead and copper and redirecting it to peaceful purposes.
0: Now, if you have, well, a, so
1: anyways, I just want to bring that up.
0: Yeah, of course. Cool now, that. if if the Robert Bardo today, knowing everything that you know, went back to when you were, you know, 18, 19 years old, but you you knew then what you know now. Do you think that incident would even had a chance of happening since you 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 all the classes and you matured oh. so much and what would the difference really would have been? You think?
1: It's like they always say, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. Uh, now, but I mean. I would have, I you know I would have uh, been, it's like in the uh, Christmas Carol with uh, Ebenezer Scrooge yeah <laughs> but, uh,
2: yeah. So it's yeah the
1: Christmas Christmas future mm-hmm. you know that's the way I would have uh, handled it nice. uh, Robert Bardo at age nineteen in nineteen eighty nine So I'm fifty three years old right now
0: sure yeah yeah uh, a lot of life experiences yeah, then so, uh, and what was it you had you had mentioned yeah. before but you never really got into it too much I know you had a um with Mark David Chapman but what was it about the book, The Catcher in the Rye? You said you had you know, something about that I book also. I wasn't really into that book.
1: I wasn't really into that book. That's not, uh, I never said I was. I did read it, but I wasn't like into it. He was into that book because uh, he identified with Holden Caulfield, the main character in that building, because he was uh, disillusioned. I was influenced by Mark David Chapman, the crime that he committed, but I wasn't uh, into okay. that. That's a common mistake uh the only reason why I had that book with me is because it held and protected the uh, little postcard picture of that oh. of Rebecca Schaefer.
0: And I didn't carry that funny. for any
1: symbolic purpose. These, uh, these uh, commentators, they should like to read something more into it than there is yeah. to try to create something <laughs> more ominous, ominous symbolism, but there's no ominous symbolism yeah. regarding my carrying that. Uh, but they try to raise it because it sounds good, but mm-hmm. uh, it's there's nothing, so I just want to uh, but the re- uh, way I became identified with Mark David Chapman is because his father was in the Air Force just like mine was. My yeah, father was in the U.S. That. Air Force as a sideline mm-hmm. mechanic from 1955 to 1981. He retired as a master sergeant after 26 years. He was a non-commissioned officer at NCO. Uh, my parents are still alive in uh, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in their 80s, mid-80s. So yeah. uh, my dad still stays in contact with me. I
0: was but, just going to say, yeah, I I, think, uh, I, know you, I thought your dad did. Is anybody else in your family you still in contact with or just your no. father?
1: No, out of sight, out of mind. I have three brothers and three sisters. I'm the youngest of seven, and I have nieces and nephews. And it's out of sight, out of mind. They're ashamed of me because of my crime. That's so a
2: shame. They it's don't impressive. have
1: anything to do with me, but they're all successful. I'm the only convicted felon in my family. So, mm-hmm. uh,
0: that's interesting because it's such a long time ago. Anyway. I you should you see, maybe they still reach out, but yeah. But it's, it's good to have you on, just because yeah, there's so many there's so many myths. On you know the radio, on TV, but like, like I said about the book, that's why I like to have people on to say your story, the truth about everything, not you know this yeah. fictional I idea. I mean, right,
1: <laughs> right now, yeah, my case has kind of been forgotten out of the media because of all these mass shootings that are going on, and that seems to be the top dominant stories. So my case isn't is uh, is important to the media anymore, uh, like it was before. I mean, I uh, you know it's. Uh, so cry. I, mean, I get triggered by sadness when I, yeah, I, can when I see those stories of, like uh, in Phoenix, where that girl was killed in northern Phoenix on a mm-hmm. hiking trail mm-hmm. by the guy who stabbed her uh, 15 times. I mean, that was a sad story. Yeah. And I identify, like, when I see the story of Charger Levy in 2001, who sure. was found mm-hmm. dead in Washington, D.C., she mm-hmm. looks like Rebecca Schaefer. Her parents were Jewish, just like Rebecca Schaefer's were Jewish. When I saw their sadness and everything, it reminded me of the Schaefer's charge Charger Lady case because she looks a lot like Rebecca Schaefer. Well, anyway, yeah. I want to leave you with that yeah, I figure. Yeah, it's good. And, you, you,
0: uh, yeah, so we got a lot of positive things. So even though the case itself might not be in the forefront, but what is is your encouraging okay. words about everything. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, my conversation with Robert Um i hope you enjoyed it, um, and you might have noticed, and this is where uh, it's hard. Uh, when we get into empathy and people whose brain has some type of abnormality, um, were, especially when it comes to empathy, when they can't feel empathy, if you noticed, when I asked him specifically, uh, and I tried to say it as specifically as I can about empathy, and what did you specifically feel? Not what you were told or taught uh, in the class, but what specifically do you feel when you heard about the crimes and the shootings that recently happened or thinking about Rebecca, what did you feel, 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 feel? You notice he didn't answer the question. He went kind of not purposely skirted, but he doesn't know how um, to have that emotion. And I, I remember spoke to him maybe about a year ago, and he really said empathy is very hard for me because um, he didn't answer the question, oh, this is how it makes me feel. No, he wanted – you know, he – used words that things he said that what classes teach taught him to say and what they teach um, and what might be inside the mind of other people. be kind of skirted around the question of what specifically did you feel or do you feel when you hear about certain crimes? Uh, and you find that a lot. Um, and once in a while, you'll you'll have somebody who was um, with a psychopathic mind, When they might even answer, "How did you make you feel?" Well, I felt horrible. I mean, you can say words, uh, but you notice, you know, Robert didn't even use any words. He just kind of you know skirted around the question. Um, But some are so trained almost um, to answer that question. I felt horrible. I just you know inside it made me feel this or made me feel that, and maybe you know even bring some tears up. But it's you know it's almost still like they're programmed like a robot. Um, You know when somebody feels empathy. Um, you, you can if you're face to face with them you can see it in their eyes I mean it's it's very hard to to fake that in person um, you to uh, detectives and policemen uh, uh, if you're obviously a true crime fan you listen to the show uh, when you're doing interrogations I mean they're trained to know you know if you're just saying the words or uh, the way you're reacting body language I mean there's a lot of telltale signs that you actually can feel empathy and you know, worth that you can't um, but I hope this is a um, Good podcast for you, and you learned a little bit um, with somebody stinking about uh, what they have thought about, somebody who's a violent offender and did crime, especially somebody who's labeled in the stalker category, um, and obviously some some issues he's struggling with mentally. And he's trying to – I mean he's trying. He's trying to make himself a better person. He's cheating others, uh, which is always good news. Again, this is the lighter side, so do – you know we certainly talk about the dark stuff, but um, at least he gets inside the mind of somebody, um, why he did what he did, looking back, reflecting on what he did. Um, and it's all you know. Looking forward, hopefully, people who hear this um, use this to help others. And At least, okay, this is I not that you can understand it because you don't have the, his mind, um, but at least from his point of view, uh, why he thought he did it, you know, uh, from his own personal thoughts and obviously what he's been taught to a degree. Um, so anyway, like I said, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. Uh, getting more and more views and follows and shares every week, so continue that. Share the podcast. Uh, And that is awesome news. Uh, We are growing, growing, growing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, see ya.